All right, everybody, welcome to our Tuesday evening Bible study here at Grace Church. We want to welcome those of you who are tuning in by the internet on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. We are glad to have you with us this evening here in Tennessee. We've had quite a bit of ice and snow, and now we're having a heat wave up into the 30s and, and low 40s, and uh, so far as I know, no one has been injured or hurt. I thought about one of our dear sisters, Shirley, who has a driveway like this, that's about eight feet wide, if it's that wide, it's tough to get up and down, but she's okay. We have been uh, in contact with her and I trust all of you are uh, doing fine. We're glad to have David and Rhonda back from the frozen north and all of the rest of you too. If you'll open your Bibles this evening to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to take off in a little different direction this evening. 1 John chapter 5. Probably most of you know that in the first century, there arose a sect that uh, was called Gnosticism from the Greek word gnosis, which has to do with knowledge or to know. And these people spoke of a special esoteric knowledge that you had to have to know God. So this is why 1 John was written, or at least one of the major reasons why the Lord inspired John, we believe, to write 1 John. This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. And he has quite a bit to say about our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. We're going to look tonight at something and from a little different uh, perspective, uh, for at least for our, our studies and our assembly, we're going to look at the, the victory of faith. The victory of faith. First John chapter 5. And let's begin reading in verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of of God. Now you realize that a statement like that implies that the Lord Jesus is divine. If God has a son, then his son would be equal to him. His son would be God. This is he, verse 6, that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. This is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. 
He that believes not God has made him a liar because he believes not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son of God does not have life. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe, that is, that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of your Son and our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus the Christ. We ask you tonight to help us as we seek to lift him up. And Father, we pray that you will enable us to believe you. We know that it is impossible to please you except through faith. We read this in your word. And we pray that you'll help us this evening, not only to believe you in the matter of salvation, but to believe you in the matter of living in this world until you call us home or until the Son comes again. We pray in his name and we pray for his sake. Amen. Now notice verse 4 again, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Many years ago, when I first came to an assurance of my salvation, I began to read anything that I could get my hands on. But very little literature was available in those days. A friend of mine, John Riesinger, who's now gone to be with the Lord, John lived up to his 90s. Uh, he's only been gone about three years. Uh, he helped found uh, what later became the Banner of Truth Trust, which is a publication of books by the old Puritans, the old people in history who believed in the absolute sovereignty of God with all of those accompanying doctrines. So all I could get my hands on in those days were those kinds of books. However, my particular persuasion does not allow me uh, to uh, sprinkle or, or uh, immerse or anything infants. Uh, and most of the Puritans were what was called in history pedo-baptists, pedo-baby-baptists. That's a term used of all those who do admit infants, they believe, into the covenant of grace. Well, some of those old people, those old Puritans, still had some great things to say. And here's one of them. His name was John Trapp. You can buy a commentary today by John Trapp, a single volume commentary. This is what he said. He said, it is the nature of faith to believe God upon his bare word. It will not be, says your sense. It cannot be, 
says reason. It both can and will be, says faith. For I have a promise for it. Another old writer, Thomas Adams, said this, quote, It is the office of faith to believe what we do not see, and it shall be the reward of faith to see what we do believe. You know that the great definition of faith given in the book of Hebrews, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know the definition or the the forceful word there in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith it is impossible to please God. Charles Spurgeon said this, little faith will bring us to heaven. Just a little faith will bring us to heaven. But great faith will bring heaven to us. Now that's good. That's good. The believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, is an overcomer. Whatsoever is born of God, he says right here in the fourth verse, we just read it. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world overcomes. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh. So it's the destiny of every believer in Jesus Christ to triumph because every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is redeemed and is called to victory by a triumphant Lord. Now listen to David here from 1 Chronicles 29. You can look it up later if you want to. Verses 11 through 13. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Now what does that sound like? That sounds like part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And the victory and the majesty for all that is in the earth and in the, uh, all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and you reign over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and we praise thy glorious name. That's in First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. In Psalm 98, David said, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. Now listen to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. He will swallow up death in victory. Where have you heard that? Well, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great chapter on the resurrection. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from their faces. Where have you heard that? The book of Revelation. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah 25, verses 8 and 9. Now, there's a threefold basis of victory for the believer. Now, keep emphasizing that. For the believer. The scriptures are written for God's people to instruct them. There's a threefold basis of this victory. Number one, the indwelling 
of God. Now, if you look right here in uh, chapter 4 of 1 John, and in verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and you have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The first basis of our victory is the indwelling God. Our God comes to us and dwells in us by his Spirit through faith. The indwelling of God. Number two, basis, second basis of victory for the believer, access to our God through prayer. Now look at 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Threefold basis of victory. Number one, the indwelling God. Number two, access to God through prayer. And number three is faith in this sovereign God. First John chapter five, verse four, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Now surely we know that one who is indwelt by God, one who can call upon him at all seasons, and who through faith has the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and having the assurance of that, overcomes the world. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, there are four reasons that John was inspired to write this epistle. Four reasons he was inspired to write this epistle. And it, he tells us this very, clean, uh, very plainly. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse 4. These things we write unto you. We write unto you. Why, John? That your joy may be full. Now, that's, that's, this is straightforward. He said, this is why I'm writing this epistle. That your joy may be full. Now, there are certain things which the believer must know if he's to have what John is calling this full joy. The Word of God says that David was a man after God's own heart. David knew certain things. The Lord revealed certain things to David. Uh, revealed them to him by his Word. I think maybe somebody's trying to get in back there. I don't know if anybody has access to the door, but I thought some, saw somebody walking by. David knew certain things that the Lord had revealed to him by the Lord, and it made him a man that knew his God because his God that knew him, and he's called a man after God's own heart. We know that David rejoiced in the Lord. We believe that David rejoiced in God, and this joy that he had in the Lord was part of the reason he had such a victorious life. He wrote things like this, Psalm 98, 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise, rejoice, sing praise. 
Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp in the voice of the psalm, with trumpets, with the sound of the cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, <clears throat> the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. Jo uh, uh, David sees the whole world as being an orchestra <laughs> and praising the God of his salvation. Now, John has written this, therefore, he says in 1 John 1 verse 4, that your joy may be full. Now, you know and I know that we can go through this world, we can be believers, we can be redeemed, but not have the joy that we could have. I believe that. I didn't used to believe that, but I do now. And I know my wife believes that. Ask her, she'll tell you. <laughs> I don't have the joy at all times that I should have. Number two, he has written in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he has written to prevent sin, or to warn us against sin, and to prevent despair from sin. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. He said, don't sin. Fight against sin. War against sin. You have a battle all of your life against sin, but don't despair when you do sin. If any man sin, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer. We have somebody to plead our case. Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's writing to say, Stay away from sin, fight against sin, you got a battle against sin, you got the flesh, you got the world, you got the devil. John doesn't seem to have any patience with anyone who wants to play footloose and fancy free with sin, as did these first century Gnostics that I mentioned. But neither does he want any child of God to fall into despair because of the infirmities of the flesh. To the child of God, John says, don't sin. And to the erring believer who has fallen, John says, we have an advocate with the Father who's none other than Jesus Christ the Lord. Third reason John wrote this epistle, chapter 2 and verse 26. Chapter 2 and verse 26. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. All who live after the flesh, live after the flesh, I emphasize that. After the lust of the eyes, after the pride of life, after the lust of the flesh, they have great difficulty giving any kind of testimony that they're really believers, that they're really Christians, and that they're not of the world, who live that way. The Bible does use a couple of words regarding sin. I've exposed you to those words many times over the years. One word is hamartia, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, and it means to miss the mark. It means to fall short. It means to be less than perfect. The other word is anomia, A-N-O-M-I-A, and it means a deliberate, willful, continual transgression of sin. Now, the scriptures teach that when we come to Christ, we're still sinners. When he saves us, we're still sinners. But we don't love sin. We're not like the hog that was washed that returns to the mire. 
Why does the hog who was washed go back to the mud? Because it's still a hog. But if you could take the hog and put a sheep brain in it, and put a sheep heart in it, sheep don't jump in the mud and wallow. <laughs> and it's because the hog that returns, that was washed, returns to the mire, is because it still has the same nature. And the dog that has eaten something and regurgitated it, what does the dog do? We don't even like to say it. They go back and they eat it back up again. After God has delivered us from things, then we go back into them. After he has washed us and cleaned us and we go back, well, if we do, we're going to have a struggle ever coming to any real assurance that we really belong to him, that we really belong to him. I don't pass judgment on that because I've seen both ways. I've seen folks who said they were Christians who fell away, and I've seen people who seem to have fallen away who've come back. You know, the Lord said to the apostle Peter, by the way, you know that Peter denied Christ, don't you? He denied him uh, how many times? Three times, right, three times. And in John chapter 21, after Christ was risen from the grave, and, uh, and, and Peter is out in the boat, and he's, the Lord's up there on the, on the, on the uh, seashore cooking fish after he's resurrected. And they realized that it was the Lord. It was three times that he asked Peter, do you love me? Peter denied him three times. He asked him three times, do you love me? Okay. Now, you realize that Judas denied Christ. Peter denied Christ and Judas denied Christ. What's the difference? Well, I don't know all the differences, but I know when Peter denied Christ for the third time, it says that the Lord Jesus, the cock crew or crowed and Christ who had been arrested looked at Peter and it said Peter went out and wept bitterly. He realized that he didn't even know himself. He realized how strong his flesh was and how weak he was. Peter, I mean, the apostle uh, Judas, Judas went out and hanged himself. He took the money back to the high priest and he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You take care of all of that. We have nothing to do with that. And he went out and he hung himself, probably to try to pay for his sins. But the thing to do when you come to a fork in the road and you go one way and you realize that's the wrong way is to go back <laughs> to the fork in the road and go down the other way. That's the way to go. If the Lord doesn't take you out of this world through something, through some sin unto death, then you have an opportunity to repent or to turn back from that. So John says, I don't want you playing uh, Footloose and fancy free with uh, uh, sin, like the first century Gnostics, but I don't want you to fall into despair if you have fallen away or fallen into sin or uh, fallen in or to a way that you've violated yourself and your conscience. All right. First John 2.26, he says, I'm writing to warn believers 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, I'm writing to warn believers about spiritual seducers. Spiritual seducers. 
He says, everybody that lives after the flesh and lives after the world, uh, uh, they can't con convince John, at least while they're in that, that they are really and truly believers. All who deny that Jesus is the Christ, according to verses 22 and 23, are liars and not children of God. Let's read that. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 22, who is a liar, but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Antichrist or an Antichrist. He is against Christ that denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. He that acknowledges the Son, he has the Father also. All who continue not in the faith, he says in verses 18 and 19, are more in line with Antichrist. Look at this, verse 18, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, little children, it's the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So they were anti-Christ. There were people who were against Christ and in the stead of Christ, even in the first century. They went out from us, verse 19. Now, what does that tell us? If they went out from us, it means they were professing to be Christians. And that's what it says. They went out from us, but were, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made known, made obvious, made manifest, that they were not all of us. So these were people who had made professions of faith or were in the, in the uh, group of those who professed to be Christians. But John says they went out. And if they had not gone out, then we'd have some assurance they were with us. But they went out and it made, them, made, it made known, it revealed to them what they really were. They would have continued with us if they were really of us. All right, now, in 1 John chapter 5, I'm telling you reasons why he wrote this book. 1 John chapter 5, and in verse 13, he's writing to assure every believer that he or she has eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So the question is, do you believe on Jesus Christ, Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, that he is the Son of God? Then the scripture says, you do have eternal life. And what does that mean? Well, it means that you are as secure as the angels of God in heaven. It means you are as secure as the throne upon which the king of glory sits. As sure as Christ is the head and will reign forever and ever, his body will also be there with him. His body will be there with him, his spiritual body to reign with him. That is, they are secure. And if this were not so, there's no way that John could declare faith to be the victory that overcomes the world. So if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's, written, he's writing this epistle to believers, 
you've been given the victory through faith. Now, your faith is the gift of God. And if God gave it to you, he will see to it that you don't lose it. And he will see to it that it doesn't lose you. He will see that he doesn't lose you and he keeps you through faith that he gives you. He purposed to save you before the foundation of the world by Jesus Christ. He actually procured your salvation by the payment of the blood of Christ. And then he has secured and guaranteed your salvation by what's called the earnest in Ephesians chapter 1, the down payment, the earnest of the Spirit. When you buy a house, I say you want an automobile, you want to put down a little earnest money. The Holy Spirit is the earnest money of salvation. And he has given this promise of salvation in his infallible word. As the hymn writer said, what more can he say than to you he hath said to you who to Jesus for refuge has fled. So again, 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Sing praises unto him and bless his name. He's worthy to be praised and all of God's people should be able to say praise the Lord to that. Now John says that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Let me see if I can open this up a little bit in the time remaining. What is meant by this that faith is the victory that overcomes the world? Number one, it means that faith is central. Central. The Word of God exalts faith as the divine means by which God gathers His people. Now, my friends, sometimes some of us have, have had, all of us maybe at some times, have had a problem understanding the sovereignty of God and the means to His purpose. If you're going to have a garden in the back, are you going to go in your back room every day and pray, oh God, give me a garden, give me some squash and give me some cucumbers and give me some cabbage and some spinach and give me some corn, Lord, and I'd like to have some tomatoes? Or are you going to go out and dig furrows and dig in the ground and plant the seed? And are you going to water it when it needs water? Uh, you can still pray over it, but you're going to do all those things or you're not going to have a garden. Now, when we say God is sovereign, we believe he is sovereign. We believe he can do what he wants to. He's in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? He has saved his people. He's going to save his people. None can keep his people back from being saved. However, God does use means. Those means are ordained of him, but he does use means. And one means that he uses is faith. Now, faith is a gift. It is a gift of God. But it is a, it is a divine means, not only to salvation, but it is a divine means of living in this world in the manner that John is talking about, victory through faith. Faith is central. And the Word of God exalts faith as the divine means by which God gathers His people, by which God glorifies His Son, by which God magnifies His name in the world. Faith is vitally joined to every gift 
that comes from the Lord and to every gift that is offered to the Lord. You can't offer the Lord anything that he will receive except through faith. And you can't receive anything that he has for you except through faith. Now listen to me. It's not that God can't do something. It's that he won't do something for those who don't believe him. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible. Not difficult, not hard. It is impossible to please him. The people of God believe their God. So faith is vitally joined to every gift that comes from God and to every gift that is offered to God. That is, faith is the means by which the believer receives anything from the Lord and the means by which the Lord receives anything from the believer. There's no blessing, there's no promise, there's no honor, there's no prayer that's not vitally connected to faith. Faith is sensual. All right, now listen. Is this microphone too loud? Sounds like it's loud. <laughs> okay. Maybe y'all are all hard of hearing like me then. Listen to these passages of Scripture. This is the only way I'll be able to get through this. Here's what I mean by faith is sensual. Number one, faith is the only means by which the Lord God can be sought and the seeker accepted. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Number two, faith is the only avenue of acceptable service to God. Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Number three, through faith, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is received. Romans 3.21, now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Romans 4.5, to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So it's through faith that we obtain the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we receive it. Number four, through faith, the believer is justified and obtains peace with God. Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Number five, faith is central. This is what I mean. Through faith, the believer has access into the presence of God. Romans 5, 2, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in faith, in hope of the glory of God. Number six, through faith, believers become children of God. Galatians 3, 26, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Number seven, by faith, the believer is saved and boasting is excluded. Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Number eight, through faith, believers are kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.5, you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Number nine, through faith, God is believed, blessings are received, and understanding is given. 
Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things we do not see. Hebrews 11 verse 3, through faith we understand. Number 10, through faith the preached word is made profitable and the soul rests in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2, unto us was this gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached unto them did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into that rest. Number 11, through faith we are able to do battle with the devil. Ephesians 6, 16, take the shield of faith, wherein you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, <laughs> strengthen your brethren. Number 12, through faith we live before God and men. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, the just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Faith is central. Number 13, through faith we continue in the Lord. Hebrews 10, 37, yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Number 14, through faith we are victorious. 1 John 4, verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Now, you see how central faith is? I could quote a lot more to you, but that's enough. Nothing, absolutely nothing can be received from God or offered acceptably to him apart from faith. So when John says that faith is the victory that overcomes the world, he means to say that faith is central. Secondly, and I'll have to close with this, faith is of a superior nature. When you read in the book of Revelation about the believers who overcame the, the devil, you remember what it says? They overcame him by the word of their testimony, really by the blood of the Lamb, number one, by the blood of the Lamb, number two, by the word of their testimony, that is their faith, and number three, they love not their lives even unto the death. So when John says, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, he has in mind not only our persons, but the faith that the Lord has given us. See, our God is over all things. He is beyond all things. He is transcendent. He is above all things. The universe doesn't contain God. The universe is in God. And God and the universe are not the same. We're not pantheist. Pantheism teaches us, that's what Oprah is, that the universe and the and, the, and God are one and the same. But the scriptures teach that God is distinct from the universe. Similarly, the world does not control God, but God controls the world. And the world is not able to change or affect the Lord, but he is able to change the world and the things in the world. The world can't use God. This is one thing the world doesn't like. 
The world can't use God, but God can and does use the world to suit his own purposes and to promote his own glory. When David was asked by the heathen, what about your God, David? Where is he? Psalm 115, verse 3, he said, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And as Isaiah considered the majestic being of God, he, this is what he says. What a word here. Isaiah 40, 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. One little drop in a bucket. And are counted as small dust in the balance. He takes up the aisles as the very small things. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare unto him? You can't say God is like because there's nothing like God. There's only one God and he's not like anything and nothing is like him. So you get the idea? The Lord is in every way superior to the world. The world does not overcome God, but he overcomes the world in the same way. Faith, because it's born of God, that is given birth by the Lord, it overcomes the world. Because faith is born of God and our God is superior to the world, faith is superior to the world. Because faith is not of the same nature as the world, that is, it's not born of the world, it can't be controlled by the world, it can't be overcome by the world, it overcomes the world. And because we believe the Lord, and nothing is impossible to the God we believe, nothing is impossible to faith. And therefore, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. When the Lord told Mary that she was going to have the Messiah, Mary said, how can this thing be since I do not know a man? I have never known a man. Luke 1, And the angel sent from God said this, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. For with God nothing shall be impossible. In each of these passages, the truth emphasized is that nothing is impossible to God or to the one who believes God. The faith is the arm that enables the believer to lay hold of the Lord with whom nothing is impossible. And faith is the channel through which God works the impossible for him who believes. So friends, you can do no better than simply to believe God and to trust him and to walk through this world leaning upon him. The world says seeing is believing. And faith says believing is seeing. Faith is not only believing in spite of evidence, but faith is obeying in spite of consequence. When the Lord told Abraham that he was going to have children, he was already 75 years old. And it says Abraham believed God. And in time, when he was 100 years old, the Lord showed him that nothing is impossible, was impossible to him who believes. And when the Lord told Noah that a flood was coming, everybody acted ridiculed and scoffed. 
There was no in indication any such phenomena was ever going to occur. Noah believed God and he saved himself and his family. When the Lord told General Joshua that they're going to take the city of Jericho, not by fighting, but by faith, not by assault and using the battering ram, but simply marching around the city one time each day and then on the seventh day going around the city for seven days. When they marched around the city for seven days, their patience was perfected. Can you imagine after six days, somebody said, what in the world, what are we doing here marching? What is this? But Joshua led them and they marched around that city and their patience was perfected. And then on the seventh day, when they marched around the city seven days, their obedience was perfected. And then they were told to do what? They were told to blow the trumpets on the seventh day. And after the seventh time around the city, they said, the, uh, the, Joshua said, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. <laughs> Let me read this to you. It shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before it. You know, shalls and wills in there. But notice what the Lord told Joshua before they ever started marching. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given unto your hand Jericho and the king and the mighty men of valor. First the Lord promised him victory, then he said, and you shall surround the city, all you men of war, go around the city once, and thus you shall do for six days. And then he said, and the seven priests shall bear before the ark the seven trumpets of ram's horn, and the seventh day you shall go around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and the walls will fall. And history bears witness that they believed God, and the walls of Jericho fell. I need to stop here at this point. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the victory. We say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And this faith is the faith that you've given us, Lord. We pray that you'll build us up in the faith, in the most holy faith, that we may be able to trust you all the days of our lives. We may not do great things, but we serve a great God who can do great things. Forgive us of our sins of unbelief. Forgive us of our weak faith. Strengthen our faith as we stand upon your word. We pray that you will bless us and that you will use us in these days in which we live for the sake, honor, and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy. We pray in his name. Amen.